Hey everyone, welcome to Reformed Podmatics, hosted by the pastors of Almond Valley Christian Reformed Church in Ripon, California. It's Pastor Mark Van Dyke and Pastor Zach Dewey, and this podcast exists to promote the vibrant, biblical, and historically informed face of Reformed theology, both in our context and beyond. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode 90 of Reformed Podmatics. I am Pastor Zach. And I'm Pastor Mark. And today we are going to be continuing on with our Reflections Following Synod 2022. Uh, There's a lot to unpack, and there's been great reflections coming in from all over our denomination, from pastors or delegates on uh, different sides of the aisle, and so it's uh, just... We're just adding our voice into the uh, into the bucket. I guess it's a it's a <laughs> drop of water in the in the bucket here. Um, there's there's lots of other hot takes, uh, maybe cooler takes, uh, but we're just giving our own thoughts and musings. Uh, and last week we kind of just covered the news. We kind of gave mm-hmm. a report on what happened. That's how we kind of uh, thought about what we were doing last week. And this week we want to get more into the theological discussions and beginning to unpack some of what we heard especially from the floor of synod uh we are not going to give clips uh we're not going to to name names and part of this is because uh we don't really have the uh, the uh, opportunity to give these other people platforms to respond to what we're going to say and so we're going to be speaking more so in generalities about general arguments that we were hearing from the Mm -hmm. floor um, and how to respond back to them. Now, you can go and watch the the videos of Synod. They're all up. All the many, many hours of Synod are all up. You can go and find them. Uh, really, the discussions surrounding the HSR, which will be the bulk of what we, we talk about today, uh, happened on Tuesday evening is when it really began, and that's how you can find that video. It's called CRCNA Synod 2022. You can look up Tuesday evening. Those words will help you find that video. And then also uh, Wednesday morning, I believe Wednesday evening as well, and then Thursday morning was the discussion about what to do with Neeland Avenue CRC. And so if you want to go find those, those are all available on YouTube uh, I do want to start, though, with a little bit of a point of clarification, Mark, if you don't mind. Um, we we mentioned last week in our episode that the vast majority of those who were against the HSR, the Human Sexuality Report, were from Classis Grand Rapids East. Of course, that's only four delegates, and there were a lot many, a lot more who voted against uh, the HSR. And we, we also sort of just threw out there that a good number of those who were against it were probably from Canada. And I, I do stand by that. But we had one listener, Simon Veenstra, uh, who pointed out to us that he wanted to give a friendly reminder that there actually are a number of conservatives actually from Canada, too. And I, d- I did want to make that clear. Uh, Canada is not a, a monolith. Uh, our churches in Canada don't all think the exact same way. They have... Uh, differences of opinion just like we do here south of the border and I actually met uh, several Canadian pastors whom I really appreciated on you could say more of the conservative side of the of the aisle Um, so I do want to recognize that also I want to 
sort of edit something we said. We mentioned that the vote to censure Neeland Avenue passed by, I think we said 151 yes votes. Uh, going back and watching the video, I discovered that it was only 134 yes and 43 no. Uh, there were 123 people who voted to make the HSR's positions confessional. And so that means about nine, eight or nine people or so um, actually moved from rejecting the HSR to actually voting to censure uh, Neeland Avenue. So that is interesting numbers. Yeah. We just wanted to, to, to start with that so that people could uh, really know the exact numbers. Uh, you can go and watch all this yourself. Again, it's on YouTube. but Probably about six uh, hours of viewing. Yeah, I just didn't want to falsely report the facts. And so yeah. I think in a matter of... In lieu of trying to tell the truth, uh, that we needed to start there. Well, and that gets to how complicated even this conversation is, where we are discussing uh, a lot, a lot of information. We're responding to a ton of information here, and um, so there's there's a lot to digest. And um, there were themes. I think that's what we're trying to bring out in this conversation. Is what themes did we hear yeah, from exactly. either side? And we do want to recognize as two guys who um, are enthusiastic about the HSR and, and we're glad that it was passed and considered uh, a confessional matter. Um, there were some from our own camp, you might say, who spoke in a way that was not as helpful as it should have been. Um, to give an example, uh, or, or maybe uh, to... Uh, Giving the example of what we would love to have seen more of, um, I was talking with a former elder here at church who watched a good amount of the proceedings at Synod, and he said, um, as in selecting delegates, we need to be selecting people who will speak well, hmm. um, who will go and be thoughtful and yeah. not dismissive, and who will um, not just agree with a certain position per se, but who will speak well about that position. And and so um, it was clear at times from both sides that there were some who got up to speak, uh, some pastors even, quite frankly, mm -hmm. um, who uh, were, not go, were not representing their viewpoint as, as really as well as they could have, or as maybe well as someone else could have. And that doesn't mean that we're perfect in this regard. And it's a hard thing to do. It is hard. There's there's yeah. nerves uh, associated oh, yeah. with it. Um, it is difficult. And I'm not I'm not even speaking in terms of eloquence. Mm -hmm. I'm speaking in terms of uh, thoughtfulness. The, c the content. Of yeah. What you're um, yeah. And so uh, to give an example, uh, there there was somebody who who stood up and said, "We're only talking about five percent of the population here, and so really this isn't really all that important." And that was really meant as from a conservative side as kind of a dismissive thing mm. concerning. Why? Why do these progressives care so much about this? Yeah, um, and that was very dismissive. It was not helpful. It's the kind of thing that you might hear in conversation, and hopefully correct somebody about if if they have mm -hmm. that dismissive attitude. Um, but really, uh, from the floor of synod, that should be. Um, I would hope the creme de la creme of theological argumentation happening at that location. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that is not always what we saw. So yeah, that's true. And I think in that matter, 
who cares if it's only 5% yeah, of the population? Oh, it's still yeah. an extremely important matter for those 5% of people. And so we should... For everyone. Uh, they, yeah. they, they deserve <laughs> dignity. And so we should we should speak to this with as much precision and pastoral care as, as possible for their yeah. sake and for the sake of their of their lives and of their souls. Um, and so, yeah, that's... that's dismissive um and and so yeah these things happened occasionally and that isn't just a lump on uh a criticism onto one person but um so anyways we, we do hope to get to the general themes of what we heard and um i think there's really two main um themes that we want to discuss as we muse about theological matters it's the the distinction between sanctification and justification yeah. which was confused regularly, particularly among the progressive and affirming delegates, and then the other being how we talk and think about the law of God. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, Zach, you want to start off with uh, the justification-sanctification confusion that we heard or saw quite a bit? Yeah, there's a lot to, to say here, so I'll try to take a stab at it, and maybe you can Maybe we can define it. the issue, uh, I guess, first. But, yeah, so... Just to define these words, yeah. justification is uh, sort of, if we're talking about the ordo salutis or the order of salvation, justification is what happens when we believe and we are moved by God's grace to have faith. And faith is not the grounds of our justification. It is the instrument of our justification. Faith is how we receive uh, our the righteousness of Christ and how we are um, seen as righteous, counted as righteous before God. Uh, this happens by faith. And so you could sort of say this happens at the beginning of mm-hmm. the Christian walk. Uh, justification uh, isn't the very first thing that happens, but it's a, it, it's in terms of becoming a Christian, justification happens uh, early on. And then sanctification is different than this. All these two are very intimately connected. Those who are justified are also sanctified. This is what Calvin calls the double grace or the dual grace, or in Latin, the duplex gratia. Sanctification is that process throughout life by which we become more and more sanctified or holy, set apart mm-hmm. uh, as for our righteous living, by our righteous living. And so over time, the Christian becomes more and more holy. And this isn't to say that it's always a linear movement. Uh, there's ups and downs of the Christian life, and sometimes it feels like it's one step forward, two steps back. Mm. But generally speaking, the Christian uh, walks in holiness more and more as their life goes on. Um, and that is the sort of general expectation. That's mm-hmm. um, how God, the Bible describes the Christian life. is It yeah. starts in a moment. It starts by the work of God towards us. Right. And we do nothing, 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 nothing to contribute to our justification. Right. Whereas with our sanctification, we strive with all our being and yeah. we cooperate with God and God works in us. Um, it, it certainly isn't, even our sanctification isn't, you know, 50-50, I would say. It's the work of God in our, in our will and in our desires, in our actions, and yet we also do cooperate with God we contribute nothing to justification. Correct. We strive for sanctification with uh, all our inmost being. And yeah, so, by the power of the Spirit, we yeah. have been crucified with Christ, and we are now raised with him, and we don't live in the flesh any longer. We live in the Spirit. This is right. uh, Romans 8, for example. 
And so sanctification is that process where, whereby we walk in the spirit throughout our lives and we walk in a way that accords with the gospel. Um, and this, so the, the question that came up a lot, I think, in the discussion at Synod was a confusion that the HSR was referring to justification. Yes. And so obviously it did have <laughs> much uh, to teach about justification by grace through faith, but it was concerning how we are to live as believers, yes. Sancti- matters of sanctification, and where some people got very upset who were um, opposed to the HSR. Uh, they would say, uh, this isn't a direct quote, but I would paraphrase and say, we're telling people they've got to be perfect in order right. to, to come justified. into the church, in order to be justified. If, we re- if they read the HSR, they're going to come away thinking they've got to do all these things and be sexually pure and um, uh, not be same-sex, you know, uh, in, yeah. in a same-sex relationship, and then they can be a Christian. There were quite a few comments towards that direction, which was uh, very elementary. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm trying to be nice. Um, very, a very foolish, a very surprising way for an office bearer in the Christian Reformed Church to talk, to not understand the difference between the justification and the sanctification process that this report is really dealing with. Uh, Professor Wyma spoke to that. We mentioned it a little bit in our last uh, podcast, but um, I I was discouraged to hear from office bearers, including even pastors, Mm -hmm. a lack of understanding concerning the justification-sanctification distinction represented in the HSR. Yeah, so people were often making making claims to the tune of, Wait, we're going to foreground people's sin and say that they have to stop being sinners in order to be Christians? Nobody can stop being a sinner, you know. Like even, even we we here at Synod, you know, we we sin. We're all sinners if we're honest, and so if we haven't repented of our sin fully, and so how can we make these demands on people? Um, which is really to miss the point. The, the gospel call does include within it a calling to repent. That is what Christ says in the first chapter of Mark when he comes. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Uh, That's part of the good news, that God is gracious enough to grant us repentance and to accept our repentance, and he's merciful to give us repentance so that we can forsake our sin and live in Christ. Now, does this mean a same-sex attracted person must become straight in order to become a Christian? Absolutely not not absolutely not uh you do not have to become a perfectly straight uh, married in a monogamous covenantal yeah. relationship with somebody of the opposite sex in order to become a christian that's an idolatry of marriage exactly and that's not what what what's not what the hsr is, said. is saying the hsr yeah. is clearly not saying that the hsr is saying we must recognize our sin turn from it and in in that turning turn to god instead uh, and so justification is not we don't we don't earn justification by by this in fact those who are justified will turn from their sin hmm. those who have been previously justified will be so convinced and convicted of their sin that they will desire to lovingly and gratefully and faithfully follow the lord christ with the rest of their lives and they will they will have counted the cost they will have decided to forsake 
excuse me, I just burped on air. <laughs> they will forsake all sin and they will turn to Christ and desire to walk in righteousness. They will do this very imperfectly. They will they they will at times struggle with that same sin. So that if they fear if this is a same sex attracted Christian, they will have times where they very likely lust. I would imagine uh, after people of the same sex as Christians. Uh, I, I do not doubt this in any way yeah. because Canons I know Vidort, my own heart. Canons Vidort Part 5 talk about this very specifically. It all yeah. has to do with a stance towards sin. Uh, is sin something we can cozy up with? No. Sin is absolutely something we must forsake, especially, as we're told in the New Testament, sexual immorality. Mm-hmm. Uh, Paul seems to take a very, very strong stance against sexual immorality. Uh Actually, I wouldn't even say seems. I think it's quite yeah. clear that he does. And so... Yeah, it seems like there's two sins, actually, that come up a lot in the New Testament. It would be false teaching and sexual immorality yeah. are, 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 are no no worse, I would say, than other sins in how they might separate you from God. But they do receive a lot of attention from Paul's work. We have a natural propensity to these sins, to false teaching and to sexual immorality. Uh and speaking to the sexual immorality thing and they're related to it. <laughs> it's it's something that's it is and this is something i think that that progressive culture or progressive political opinion has gotten kind of right and this is i'm sort of riffing off of carl truman's book strange new world which we're reading in our adult adult sunday school class uh but he talks about um about freud and about wilhelm reich these two uh, philosophers, psychoanalysts, um, and how they make sexu- our sexuality pretty fundamental to our humanity. And actually, there's some truth to that. Our, mm-hmm. our, our sexual drives are very, very strong natural drives that, that most every human experiences uh, to, to one degree or another. Uh, and I don't know if they're ex- exactly what makes us human, uh, but I think that they are undeniable and very, very strong mm-hmm. innate drives in the human uh, soul. Uh, just like our appetite for food is very, very strong, we have to satiate that. Uh, our sexual appetite is is a very, very strong drive within all of us too. And I think that may, that may be why Paul uh, seems to be very, very firm and stern when it comes to sexual immorality. And so when it comes to the Christian life, we must forsake our sin. This means we must turn away from our sin, hate our sin, and desire with all that we have and strive with all that we have to live by God's grace. And so one passage that comes to mind in regards to this uh, justification, sanctification distinction mm-hmm. is Ephesians chapter one or chapter five, verses one through seventeen. I won't read all of those verses, but I'll just read some of these, some of the verses to start off this passage. Paul says, "Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness." must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let mm. there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Those words, has no inheritance, are really important. Putting in the 
present tense is of the utmost, utmost importance in how we understand this. Paul, by doing this, recognizes that the person who does these things unrepentantly, who, who makes no practice of turning from them, who has not tried to turn from them, and in fact just keeps doing them, keeps in, enjoying them, enjoying their sin, this person has no inheritance. It's not that they lose their inheritance. Mm. It's that they have no inheritance. They have not actually experienced the new life. Uh, and so sometimes people uh, from the synod floor argue, arguing against the HSR would say things to the tune of, this sounds like we're kicking people out. Well, mm. we would say that those who have not repented of sin and who have made it a practice to fight their sin uh, actually are not in to begin with. They have not been reborn in Christ's, uh, Christ's grace. And so we're not kicking them out. We are trying to clarify to them that they are continuing to live in sin. Mm. And so this is a matter of salvation, uh, but not for the same way that often the, the progressive side of our denomination was trying to argue at Synod. Yeah, saying it's a salvation matter people automatically think, okay, then this is all talking about justification. Right. And that's not what we're saying. And that's that's not what we're suggesting at all. Um, And so that's one one of the issues that we we heard. And uh, quite frankly, I was was pretty surprised that that came up as much as it did from the synod floor. Um, And so uh, maybe along with that, uh, before we even jump into the next one, um, there, there certainly was also a trend of what is called antinomianism. That's mm. a really big word for if you're a lay listener and you didn't go to seminary and you don't read a lot of theological books, antinomianism could sound like a really weird thing that you'd never need to know about, but actually it's a long word worthy of learning. Um, so yeah. n- in Greek, law is nomos, the nomos. And so an antinomian is somebody who is against the law. Somebody who, um, in, in the context of Christianity, um, or sort of Christendom, would say, grace, God's grace is so amazing, God's grace is so powerful and so victorious that we don't need to follow any kind of law. Uh, maybe they wouldn't say this so bluntly, but um, they would essentially say the opposite of what the Apostle Paul does. Um, they go on sinning so that grace may abound. Mm-hmm. And so the antinomian um, would approach this conversation and say, if we're just saved by grace, why are we being so legalistic about yeah. these matters of sexual ethics? Mm-hmm. Um, if, we're, if it's all grace, um, why would we want to present to someone this HSR that, really talks about how serious sin is. And um, I heard one criticism of the HSR uh, that it's very, uh, very damning and very cold. Hmm. And the, the person was particularly criticizing one part of the HSR, which actually ended up just being quoting the Bible. <laughs> so they were criticizing the part from uh, that what Paul wrote to the Corinthians, uh, hmm. 1 Corinthians 5, where it talks about who may not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And they were saying, that sounds cold and I don't like that. And to which you, we would have to respond, well, that is the Bible. Um, yeah. And so um, that comes though from a heart of 
the, what I would call antinomianism. Um, hmm. What would your response be maybe to the person? I mean, we've already talked about sanctification a little bit, but to that particular counter argument that God is just a God of grace. And so why are we so focused on this? Yeah, I think there's two kinds of antinomians uh, and they're related in their general uh, desire to dispense with the law of God. One antinomian will say, because God's grace is so great, we have no need for the law. Another type of antinomian might say something like, uh, because God gives us grace, the law is actually really bad. Yeah, true. um, We don't like the law. That comes into the next point. And the law is something that's only negative. And this is something that I think might be an act, like, it might be actually taught by some radical Lutherans. I don't want to. <laughs> I, don't, I won't stand by that statement very strongly. I could, be, could very but well Luther be wrong. famously was um, had sort of that feeling. I yeah. get some sense from reading some of the sort of Finnish line of, of Lutheranism that that might be the case, but I know very little about that. Just besides what I've read a little bit of here and there, but there is a sort of sharp distinction between law and gospel that I think would be overly sharp in some Lutheran and even in some corners of the conservative reformed world well it could so, come from a misreading of galatians the spirit is life and the law is death yeah right? so yeah. it becomes a really uh, oppositional way of reading law and gospel as if yeah. they really are two totally different things I, I actually think that there's a distinction between them yes but i don't think that they are totally separate things um and maybe we'll get into that here in a second but to answer your question what would we say to the antinomian uh, regardless of which kind of antinomian they are, mm-hmm. I, I guess I would say that no, God's law is good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third use of the law uh, in the Reformed tradition, and really actually Lutherans do, I think, recognize this, um, to be gracious to them, uh, <laughs> is that God's law shows us how we are to uh, live a blessed life, uh, live a gracious life, live the life that has now been regenerated by the Spirit, and so the law, yes, it drives us to sin, us to Christ. It shows us our sin. Mm-hmm. But the law is also a way in which God blesses us and the way in which God actually gives us his grace. He gives us his grace. We can abide by the law. And in obeying the law, uh, in obeying his will, in other words, we find blessing. This is the general theme of the book of Proverbs. And I make this point a lot. Proverbs very clearly says that if you want to be wise, you must know the law of God. You must love the law of God, uh, obey the law of God. Wisdom. Yeah, seek it. Love it. Wisdom yeah. uh, is is gained uh, by obedience. Um, it's gained by dependence on God. And wisdom brings blessing. The law brings blessing. Um, and it, maybe a, another way to, uh, th- we're going to get. my messy way of explaining No, I, I hear that. Uh, and, totally agree and this brings us to our next point really which was a a regular i think misunderstanding or even mis- misrepresentation of what the law is and how good the law is um but before we even get to the question i guess i'd want to um make clear when we say the law of god um some people would just hear that as the rules the it's just the rules know the rules follow the rules mm-hmm. Um, but by law, statutes, commands, whatever you would <laughs> noun you want to use from Psalm 119, um, the way of God, hmm. the, the way of life, um, yeah. the, the way of Christ, yeah. the word of God, 
Um, like e- each of these are wonderful. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the way to walk in life, and it's the it's the way to walk next to Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. And so, as we talk about the law, uh, I think that the the worldly misrepresentation of that is a Pharisaical legalism that we're yeah. that. So some people might hear us saying, "Oh, don't be antinomian, but you should love the law," and they would <laughs> interpret that as you need to know the rules and follow yeah. the. So that was a mis misunderstanding i think of the hsr itself mm-hmm. um was that sometimes i wonder if people who talk that way about the hsr even actually read it because it doesn't read in a way that says here are the rules follow them or else and here are the rules and follow them for salvation exactly yeah um, whereas it was very good and it's um reformed understanding of the third use of the law yeah. as a believer how now shall we live And this is what the Heidelberg Catechism really gets at in the whole guilt, grace, gratitude structure. Yeah, question two. Um, Yeah, that's that's the whole point. Is that in the gratitude? That's that part of the Catechism goes through what the Ten Commandments and how we live. And in fact, that's where this whole Heidelberg Catechism question and answer one hundred eight with unchastity for the Seventh Commandment and adultery comes into play here. This is a part of our gratitude by Mm -hmm. by gratitude for God's grace remember guilt grace gratitude uh for gratitude for his grace we abide by his law and that law is a joy that law is a blessing it's something that we love uh even when it's painful even Mm. when it costs us even when we have to forsake the sin in which we so love Mm -hmm. we 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 abide by god's law we desire with all that we have to to live according to god's law um, this reminds me of Psalm one. Uh, yeah. Very important uh, words in regards to the to the law of God. We can also look at Psalm one nineteen, but that we would be here for <laughs> a long time. Psalm one says, "Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel of the wicked," or, or "Blessed is the man who walks not in yeah. the counsel of the wicked." That's an important <laughs> word. Nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. You'll notice he's walking, he's standing. Now he's sitting in the seat of scoffers. But instead, it says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The the man who is blessed is the one who delights in the law of God. And this is not just some Old Testament teaching uh, where, of course, that's what the the Israelites would have said. uh, But we Christians know better. We live in the sort of eon of grace, and so we don't need the law. Well, that is not the proper way of understanding scripture we we love god's law yeah uh, though it drives us to christ it, it's it's terrifying in that sense because it shows us the depravity of our sin it also shows us the way to blessing uh yeah and well life having been crucified with christ set your hearts and minds on things above right um and so um the response to regeneration is a life striving um alongside or in accordance with the word of God. So I, I think that does get to a, a little bit of something that I heard that was never addressed by anyone. Um, so I, I guess we want to add some new content, much like <laughs> each comment or, or speech on the floor of Synod was supposed to be um, unique in some way, um, which did not always uh, follow that instruction. Yours 
your your uh, comments did thankfully Zach um, we're, we're very good I thought but there was much repetition and we don't want to do that I guess as much and so one thing I never heard was a challenge to this term as the we're, we're telling people they have to carry an extra heavy burden mm. um, who are same-sex attracted um, that we're putting a burden on them that got mentioned at least three or four times yeah and, so, and and that was said um, I, I think actually that that's part of the grounds for Neyland's, um Neyland's whole rejection of the the HSR and the seventy three yeah, position right. was was it would be an unfair burden on people to live in this way um, while we uh, while heterosexual pe- heterosexual people are just allowed to get married and yeah. don't have that burden and so I, I want to very explicitly challenge the attitude of the law as a burden. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would do so in this way. Um, it, it's God's will for my life right now, certainly, to be a father. Hmm. So would I come to somebody and say, this is a burden to be a dad. Um, it, it's a burden that I have that you don't, Zach. Yeah, it, it's so just, I don't have kids. It, it's <laughs> just this, this burden that the Lord has put on me is that a helpful way to think about God's will for my life in this moment? Uh, it is true that it involves sacrifice, and it is uncomfortable at times, and it is demanding um, to a certain extent. But what I want to frequently um, refer to it as almost primarily even a burden to be a dad. No, I, I think that that's actually to paint it in such a negative way that it's leaning in an antinomian direction of saying, this is right. a hard thing, a bad thing that God is even expecting of someone. They're giving up too much mm-hmm. in order to live in this way. And I, as Reformed believers who love the law of God, who love the will of God, we have to reject that whole mentality that calling single people to celibacy is a unimaginable burden. It, that's an idolatry of sexuality, actually. Mm. Um, and yeah, so, that's a good point. And, and so, in the same way that I'm called to a father right now, and it is a burden of sorts. <laughs> sure. um, I, I do want to. I would never primarily refer to it as that. Um, it's a joy yeah. to follow the Lord and to live in His way for my life right now, which is very clearly taught in His Word. Um, which for me as a father, for somebody else, might be a single person. Um, and just so that you know, I'm not riffing here um, from the top of my head. It's First John 5. Um, this is love for God to obey his commands, and his commands are not burdensome, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Um, there it is, right, mm-hmm. right there, where um, to, to go God's way is a joy for the Christian, even if yeah. it's hard. Yeah, And um, uh, might, I don't want to go too far in suggesting things about those who perceive it as a burden, but I would say one of the markers of a regenerate, born-again Christian is to love the law and to regard it as a good thing and not primarily as these rules that I have to follow or a burden that God put on me now that I'm going to be going to church or now that I'm going to be called a Christian. Yeah, It's a radically different ways of thinking about the will of God. The passage that comes to mind as I think about it being called a burden is, well, it's several passages from the Gospels. 
Um, Jesus tells his disciples, pick up your cross yeah. and follow me. And so if, what Daily. if they say, oh, that's a burden. It's a burden. The cross is a burden. Absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's a, a burden. It's a weight. It's a, yeah, um, yeah. And it's a different burden than what I, as a heterosexual person, have. I, I, f- I freely admit that. Yeah. Uh, and it's a particularly painful burden. I don't, I don't disagree. I, I've read enough same-sex attracted brothers and sisters' work on this point and mm-hmm. what singleness is like as somebody in, in this position uh, to know that, yeah, that's absolutely a difficult position to be. And so while they may rightly characterize it in some sort of sense as, as a burden in the same way that you've characterized fatherhood as a burden of sorts, it's not the best way to no. describe what that is like. Picking up our cross, yeah, it's burdensome in a sense. A cross is extremely heavy. Even Jesus himself needed help to carry his cross. Um, and so, but by the same token, it is glorious yeah. and it is beautiful and it is good to follow God's law, even when it's hard. And demanding. Uh, I, and I, I, I guess I would just want to add that we all as believers have a, yeah. de- a demand of God on our lives. Yeah. Um, and so with that regeneration, with that being born again by the spirit um it demands my life my soul my all as we sing um Mm -hmm. when i survey the wondrous cross so there there is a demand on it but again it it is it is not primarily a burdensome demand it's Hmm. uh, like what it says of jesus for the joy set before him he endured the cross yeah and and all of its shame um so and and so I, I think that that also is the call of the Christian in many ways as well to yeah. for the joy set before us we endure through temptation and we battle against these things and and it isn't as though oh boy now that I'm a Christian I just got to better act certain ways mm-hmm. that's almost the way that it was presented often mm-hmm. um, like against my will I've got to carry this burden no <laughs> as reformed believers we we, we profess that. When you're born again, that will be your will yeah, as your well. Will and so changed. your will will be conformed to the will of God, making it a an endurable um, demand on God. In, yeah, in Jesus tells us other strange, crazy things in the Gospels, like if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out. Is that painful? Yeah. Is that burdensome? Absolutely. Uh, if you're If you're an alcoholic... You should absolutely stay away from situations where you know you're going to be confronted with alcohol. Um, you should avoid uh, get-togethers where people are going to be drinking freely. Uh, you should avoid having alcohol in your house. Uh, you sh- and that's going to have implications. That's going to be burdensome in some ways. Um, if you're a, a pornography addict, you should absolutely set filters on your computer. You should have accountability set up. Uh, you should do all that you can to cut off the, your hand, essentially. Mm. And there's more to it. It's a heart issue, and you mm. have to face that heart issue as well. Uh, and so that's where you you need to be uh, in community, in constant community and, and yeah. accountability and having uh, people helping you walk by grace. Uh, but it would be foolish of you to not uh, bring on those burdensome sort of restrictions into your life. Uh, and so... 
you should have a joy to it even. And, and, but it should it, be it should joyful. Be like, I am being this, released from that sin. Exactly. This yeah. is the way to life. And yeah. that is actually something I'm profoundly thankful for. That's what the the repentant person will will say. Uh, you may have that that deep desire to continue drinking or to continue looking at porn or whatever it may be. Uh, and, but you, but deeper even than that desire is the desire for holiness and for uh, for truly obeying God and honoring God and knowing that that will bring more blessing than continue continuing in my alcoholism will ever bring me. Is yeah. this was it yeah. burdensome? Yeah, in some ways it is, but the burden actually is outweighed by the weight of glory mm. of walking in holiness. Yeah, it's it's a simple question, I guess. Is it really good to obey God? Like yeah. like really good on the most profound level? The, the Christian says yes. And, yeah, and, um, and it seemed at Synod that we were hearing a no. Yeah, at times it was too much. It wouldn't have been quite yeah. framed like that. Or I, I guess honest. the open and affirming side would have said it's an unfair it's an undue burden that scripture does not place on them that we're adding to them which you just then have to go look at the text itself and say no it does seem like a biblical command um and there would be no way of arguing that from scripture that would um to me carry uh carry the uh, the argument so uh, any other uh, we've got a few other uh, little ideas jotted down of things we heard at synod you want to yeah no, we're in the to, lightning I'd love round to hear section your, uh, here. sort of historical thoughts here <laughs> uh, I, I i know you were kind of wondering what would calvin yeah. have thought what would yeah, yeah. bovink have thought sort of the namesake of our podcast uh, well i must confess before uh before we started recording this i i sat down at my computer to want rewatch some of the deliberations and it, it sort of sparked an idea in my head and so i picked up um, volume one of the Reformed Dogmatics, and I ended up just reading lots and lots of Herman Bovink instead of watching um, all of the people uh, <laughs> going back and forth on the HSR. And I was the better for it, I would say. Um, hmm. But part of the reason that I I did go to to Bovink is uh, just asking this question of um, the place of Scripture in our deliberations. And um, I had recalled that Bovink wrote um, it was it ended up being at page four seventy one of um, volume one of the Reformed Dogmatics, how we can be so thankful that we have a written word of God and how we don't just go off people's stories and we don't go, um, we don't make decisions based on experiences as much as we do a written and unchanging word of God. Um, so Bavink writes about 200 pages on the nature of scripture in hmm. that, in that it's it's all gold, solid gold. It's amazing stuff. And um, wh- one particular thing he's writing is how much better having a written word is than relying on oral rev- revelation. Um, it or wouldn't argument. have sustained uh, the church. I wouldn't have been sustained. Absolutely. And and um, he actually, in a, in a way of a real genius, um, notes how having a written word makes um, our faith and our religion more universal because it, it, it then can spread through throughout all cultures and it doesn't sort of rely on the the, the cultural filter that the, yeah. the person sharing the story is, is telling the story really through. And so, um, again, just uh, I'll just read from page 471. Um, 
where he says scripture is the only adequate by scripture he means the written word of god i think that's important even to really drive that home. the word written of god. word of god is the only adequate means of guarding against the corruption of the spoken word and of making it the possession of all human beings uh, meaning um, the spoken word is convincing but he's saying the written word is what um, we measure everything according to he says the sound of a voice passes away but the written letter remains the brevity of life the unreliability of memory the craftiness of the human heart and a host of other dangers that threaten the purity of transmission, meaning sometimes we don't understand what we're hearing as well, um, and a host of other dangers um, make the inscripturation of the spoken word absolutely necessary if it is to be preserved and propagated. In the case of the revealed word, this applies even to a higher degree. And so he's saying it's good if we can have stories written down. How much more important is it that we could have the Bible, the word of God, written down for the gospel is not flattering to human beings it is directly opposed to their thoughts and wishes and as divine truth gives the lie to their falsehood so reveals um the deceptions that can be um um, easily um disregarded if if we just go on a sort of a changing story you might say Yeah, because it doesn't change over time the bible has has stayed the same no that's a you know, controversial statement in some quarters, I guess. Uh, but I think uh, biblical criticism proves that yeah. the Bible we have today in our hands uh, has always existed. Um, yeah, th- those words have always existed, and so we can we can go back and you know, this is like a good example of this would be slavery. Slaves could see if they had the ability to read, which not all of them did, obviously. Most of them did not, but those who were able to to learn how to read quickly saw when they were handed a copy of the Bible that what was happening to them was wrong. They had been stolen and kidnapped and been sold into slavery and that this was not something that was ordained of God as a good thing. Uh, They saw that they were equal in the image of God and that therefore the sort of slavery that they had been facing was wrong. And so that that part couldn't be be hidden that there were copies of scripture mm-hmm. the scriptures where those sorts of teachings those inconvenient teachings for slaveholders were you know conveniently removed yeah. uh, but having the inscripturated written word of god uh, that was has been passed down and and propagated throughout history promulgated maybe that's the better word mm. uh, clearly helped show the lie in that situation, so yeah, and there's so much. Yeah. Uh, the reason that Bavink refers to this is there's there is so much confusion about the the will of God. If we kind of go with our gut, if yeah. we if we try to make decisions based on stories that we hear, um, people who right. seem really nice, uh, people who uh, on either side of the debate, right? There would there would be very nice and well-intending people on the affirming side. Mm-hmm. There would be very nice and well-intending people on the traditional side. And so how how can we discern who's right? Well, mm-hmm. that that's where Bavink comes in and says, Scripture, the, the written word, is the only adequate means of guarding against the corruption of the spoken word and of making it the possession of all human beings. So maybe one other, one final takeaway, and this would get towards our next episode where we're going to talk about where do we go from here, is um, I think that these conversations about penal substitutionary atonement and the Human Sexuality Report um, really revealed that as a denomination, we are going to have a line somewhere. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously yeah. there are still people who are disagreeing about where that line should be concerning um, how we talk about the cross or how we talk about sexual ethics. But um, there are other denominations that have been unwilling to draw that line. Um, a, a couple quick examples. You think of the United Methodist Church. There is a minister who goes by the pseudonym Penny Cost, who is a drag queen man and um, posts well, things yeah. on. He's a man. It's who a man who is a drag queen. As a drag queen. Yeah, and he uh, he posts profanity laced YouTube videos, uh, sort of poetry slam type things, and uh, sort of says the essence of God is queerness, and um, it's yeah. it's it's pagan religion. 100%, just 100 yeah. proof, straight pagan religion. It's pretty jaw-dropping. Yeah, and penny cost. Say, yeah. And so, uh, and, and that is a man who is in a minister in good standing in the United Methodist Church right now. Hmm. And so, um, another example would be John Shelby Spong, who is a bishop of the Episcopal Church until his death, and um, basically taught that uh, Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, that's not really something that Christians have to believe in. Um, certainly a lot of the miracles of the Bible are not other fable myth type stories. He was a, uh, a pure, what is called liberal theologian and rejected standing in that long yeah. line of liberal theology. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so uh, again, a, a minister in good standing in the Episcopal church. Yeah. And so, um, we don't, we don't say this to just slam these other people, but we do say, what those denominations were not willing to do is mm-hmm. draw a line somewhere. And so um, it is very refreshing and very good um, that we were able to draw a line at least somewhere, and we agree with where the line yeah. has been drawn um, concerning uh, how we talk about the cross and how we talk about sexual ethics. Yeah, some want, want to, to erase the line or to uh, push against the line, and some think that the line wasn't, nearly as severe as it should have been some people have written mm. me telling me that they think that we should have taken immediate action to do mm. to d- basically to depose any minister who has openly de- de- taught against any of the hsr's teachings or any professor of calvin college or calvin university excuse me we're all still getting used to that one yeah uh, <laughs> i i do think that yeah you're right a line was drawn this i think sets us up to uh, walk on a path of biblical fidelity uh, in the years ahead. Uh, there's going to be a lot to come in Synod 2023. I think even the, the Council of Delegates will have a good deal to, to deal with uh, between now and next next June as we look at what Neeland Ave is do, doing. It's been reported already as of last week that Neeland Avenue has voted to appeal the decision to uh, rescind their decision to ordain a lesbian deacon. Uh, and I do want to say by uh, one thing I thought about after synod is that nobody actually spoke on the synod floor about this lesbian woman and nobody spoke to, uh, to her a gracious word, uh, despite, mm. I, and I think all the truth I, I, I voted, I'll be honest. I, I voted to, uh, to enact discipline on, on Neyland Avenue. I think that that is something that must be done given, especially the position we took on the HSR. Uh, but nobody spoke to this woman a pastoral word. We are not saying that you cannot be a Christian. We are not yeah. saying that you cannot uh, know Christ and walk with Christ. Yeah. Uh, the, the rest of your denomination who is on that other side of, of, of you 
cares deeply about you and we want you to be reconciled to God. That sounds crazy. I realize this, uh, that we are calling into question this woman's salvation, but I, I do think that that's the stakes here Hmm. uh, and that's where we're at. And I want to say to her, if she's listening or somebody who knows her, I really care about her. I don't know who she is, Hmm. um, but I care about her as a person. I would love to talk with her. I'd love to even get to know her. Uh, but I, I say this out of love and I think on it, we can talk to treat this person as just a, a cog in the machine. Right. Uh, kind of an just, avatar for the whole issue. Right, yeah. exactly. And I yeah. want to recognize that she's a real person yeah. and she needs my care. Whether or not she ever agrees with me, uh, she needs my love and my respect. And I want to, to make that clear. Um, that's kind of a sloppy way of me saying all of that, but that's how, that's yeah. how I feel. It was great kind of point. amazing that she was never addressed. Yeah. Great point. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, there's so much more we could say, but, um, we will leave it there for this episode, and and uh, we don't want to um, obsess about these things. I, th- I think a little bit of um, it's it it <laughs> yeah. could feel it could sound a little bit like we're the high school seniors who just won the state championship, and this just is what we're going to think about for forever now. Um, mm-hmm. We don't want it to be that way. Um, it, it could be an idolatry, um, sort of church politics idolatry, um, just like people have an idolatry of. Uh, worldly politics um so we're gonna record one more episode about this um but we're gonna move on eventually (laughs) and um this is a matter of great consequence and that's why we're talking about it so we don't really do so apologetically but uh, we do so with our eyes open that the church is really about jesus and um believing the word of god promoting the word of god in all of its breadth and not just on certain issues so Um, so hopefully you will join us again next week and spread the word concerning, uh, reform podmatics here. And we thank you for spending, uh, your valuable time with us and, uh, God bless you in the rest of your week. Yeah. Grace and peace. You guys.